passages of scripture, another one back to back with last week's that are highly skippable at first read, but we are looking for God, as we sang, we're looking for God in his perfection, even in this passage, uh, which is a little obscure to us today. So we'll, we'll do our best to recover that, and I'd like to pray briefly for us towards that end. So pray with me, please. Lord, have mercy on us. We open up the Bible believing that you give it to us um, to teach us who you are and show us how to live in love for you. So do that now, we pray. Amen. So there's a story about a guy, his name is Dennis Lee Curtis, and he was arrested in, uh, back in, way back in 92 in Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, but what's interesting about his story, he was arrested for stealing, and in his possession, in his wallet, was his creed of thievery. It goes like this, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. Point two, I will take cash and food stamps, no checks. <laughs> He's a smart thief, right? So, uh, three, I will rob only at night. Point four, I will not wear a mask. Point five, I will not rob mini-marts or 7-Eleven stores. Point six, if I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. If chased by vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. Seven. I will rob only seven months out of the year. It's like a Sabbath or something. I don't know what that is. And then eight, I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. This was Dennis Lee's kind of creed of thievery that made him feel good about how he was living. And, uh, you know, the thing that it, it makes is we can see in someone else, and probably we could see it in ourselves, is that um, our moral compass can be pretty well off course, and we can still feel pretty good about ourselves, right? Um, we make our own moral code that we can adhere to. Um, but mercifully, as we sang just a few minutes ago, that's not what our God is like. He is perfect in his integrity, in his justice. Listen to Deuteronomy 32. It speaks of God and says, the rock his way is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is, is he. Our God is perfect. He is perfect, especially today. He wants us to see he's perfect in his justice. And we can trust him to be just in all things. Um, all his ways are, are justice, Moses sang. And, and we as God's people then are called to mirror God to the world by doing justice ourselves. Micah, the prophet, said, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so in the passage today, as we look for God in these chapters, we'll see his justice unfold in a way that is intended to embed it in his people as they set up in this land that God has given them as a nation, um, the nation of Israel. And so open your Bibles again, if you haven't already, to Joshua chapter 20, verses 21, or, and 21, chapters 20 and 21. Before we can make sense out of these two um, chapters, we need to understand something about one of the tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes in Israel, right? One of them is called the Levites. 
the tribe of Levi. And the Levites were a tribe from whom the priests and the servants in the temple and the tabernacle were to come from. They were, in a sense, the worship leaders in the nation of Israel. But they also, as a result of that, they received no inheritance in this land that Israel was moving into, unlike any of the other tribes. So in last week's passage, several times, if you looked it over, we would run across an expression like this from chapter 14. No portion was given to the Levites in the land. They did not get a a tract of land to call their own. But one of the other things that we read about the Levites in that passage from last week is that they got a better inheritance in land. It says in chapter 13, the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. And you see this, we've seen this demonstrated in the book of Joshua. So you remember when Israel's getting ready to cross the Jordan River to enter this land of promise that God had given them, and there's this miraculous damming up of the river And they cross on dry ground. But first, um, in chapter 3 of Joshua, it says, At the end of three days, the officers went throughout the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set it from your place and follow it. And the Levites carried the ark of the covenant that represented the presence of the Lord and his people into that riverbed, And it dried up around them, and and the people were able to cross it. The tribe of Levi was set apart for this special service unto God and for this special inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance. And in a sense, they were a reminder to the other 12 or the other 11 tribes that there's something more valuable than the land that's being given to you, and that is Yahweh Himself the Lord God himself. That is your greatest inheritance. Um, But even though they didn't inherit land, they were given places to live, cities to live. And that's what chapter 21 is all about. We'll skip chapter 20 and come back to it in a minute. But in chapter 21, this is how it starts. Um, The heads of the father's houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And these heads of the Levites said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, the Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our livestock. And so by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. So it's getting there, they are coming to Joshua and asking for the cities that God had promised them. And there's a couple really beautiful things that are good examples for us here. First, um, the Levites are claiming what God has promised them. Okay? They believe the promise of God that they were to be given these cities to live in. As far back as the book of Numbers, when they were getting ready to enter that land of promise, this is what we read in Numbers 35. The Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, 
command the people of Israel to give the Levites some of the inheritance of their possession as cities for them to dwell in, and you shall give to the Levites pasture lands around the cities. So they're claiming this promise. God had promised them cities to live in, and they are here claiming that, a beautiful example of faith for us. Now, it it sounds like, I thought they didn't get any inheritance, but they did get cities. Well, Look at this map and you'll see a sense of the dis- difference between getting a tract of land and getting a city. These colored areas um, that are colored different ways in here, that's the area that was given to each tribe. The red dots are the cities where the Levites were supposed to live. They were only allowed to live in those cities, whereas everyone else got these large tracts of land. Um, so, Their example is one of claims God's promise. A second example here is going on um, is that the remaining tribes happily obey God's command to effectively share their inheritance with the Levites. Um, You know, sometimes Israel gets it right and sometimes they don't. They're a lot like us in that regard. This time they get it right. The Levites trust God to give them the cities that were promised them, and the people sacrificially give place in those cities to live to them. Um, It's that old trust and obey motto, again, that we've been seeing throughout Joshua. If Joshua was a bumper sticker, that could probably be it. Trust and obey. Um, So what follows then throughout the rest, most of the rest of chapter 21 is a parceling out of those 48 cities to the Levites so that they'd know what cities they were to live in. And so it reads kind of like this. Here's a sample from down in verse 34. To the rest of the Levites, the Merite clans, were given out of the tribe of Zebulun, Jochnium with its pasture lands, Karta with its pasture lands, Dimna with its pasture lands, Nahalal with its pasture lands, four cities. And the rest of the chapter is every bit as exciting as that. Okay? It's, it's the dispersal of cities so that they knew where they got to live. It was very, very important to them. You get the idea. And there's a couple of summary statements. Say, these cities, their pasture lands, the people of Israel gave by lot to the Levites. And again in verse 41, the cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities. So these 48 cities, as you saw on this map, They're spread throughout the land. They're not concentrated in one place. They're spread out such that every tribe contributes a city. Back in Numbers, when God was telling Moses about this, it says, as for the cities that you shall give from the possession of the people of Israel to the Levites, from the larger tribes you'll take many. From the smaller tribes you'll take few. But each in proportion to the inheritance that it inherits, shall give of its cities to the Levites. And so the purpose of this was to distribute these Levites throughout the land so that every tribe had Levitical cities with these Levites, these priestly people living among them. And it's God's way of providing for each tribe. They would have priests. They would have these servants of the temple living amongst each tribe. And it's, it's helpful to, to call to mind, again, the special role of these Levites amongst God's people. There's a pastor named Doug Goins, and he writes, 
that they would serve in the temple, um, the place of unified corporate worship in the life of the nation. They would assist in all the great annual feasts and festivals, the high holy days for the nation. They would lead in musical worship in great choirs and orchestras and become composers of psalms and hymns of praise for the nation. So each tribe had a worship team, effectively, given to them because these Levites were there. Um, They also became teachers, theologians, storytellers, counselors, and inspired preachers in that new society in the land. So again, these cities became outposts of worship and teaching for the people that lived in in that area. So in chapter 21, we see God faithfully keeping his promise again as he provides for the Levites, and we see him caring for his people by scattering these Levites throughout the land um, to shepherd the people in each of the tribes. Now, amongst these 48 cities... There are six of them that are called cities of refuge. Um, And that's what the focus is of chapter 20 that we skipped. So look back there in chapter 20, and it reads like this. The Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. And then they shall take him into the city and give him a place. And he shall remain with him. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment until the death of him who is high priest at the time. And then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. So six cities of refuge, safe cities. They, they provide asylum for someone who is guilty of taking a life without intent. Okay. Um, so this person can find refuge in this city, one of these six cities, from someone who is seeking vengeance against them, the slayer or the uh, avenger of blood. And so the law of Moses gives some real detailed examples of who might be available to take refuge here. So here's an example from Deuteronomy 19. Um, The cities of refuge are the provision for the manslayer who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, and here's an example, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live. So a couple things to keep in mind. In in the nation at this time, they didn't have police, okay? No, no popo in Israel at this point in time, okay? Um, so justice was often carried out by the people, in particular by families in cases like this. So the avenger of blood, they call him, could very likely have been a family member who was seeking justice against someone who had unintentionally killed a loved one. And so you can imagine how that could lead to vigilante justice 
and a back and forth kind of violence amongst, uh, amongst families in this kind of situation. Um, because family members who have just lost a loved one are not the most rational of judges and dispensers of justice in cases like this, right? Um, they're going to be responding to their passions. And so God establishes these cities to preserve proportional justice, okay? You could call it just justice so that, so that the punishment fits the crime. And the concern of God for just justice is all throughout his law. You've all heard expressions of it, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It limits justice to what is proportionate, okay? You can't take a life for an eye, but the expression is an eye for an eye. It's a limiting to this kind of just justice that we're, we're seeing here. God is making sure that justice is carried out, but that it's proportionate um, where the punishment, again, fits the crime. No more than what was permitted. So if somebody... Um, accidentally kills someone or unintentionally kills someone, um, these cities protect them from an unjust taking of their, of their life. Um, now, he does have to pay a penalty. He is banished from his home to this city. He must live in this city. He cannot leave this city at all or he will not have refuge. He will not have protection of these cities of refuge. So again, we see mingled up here God's mercy and God's justice beautifully woven in the fabric that he's building into his, into his people. Um, but there's a curious thing in verse 6. Look at it with me. It's a really curious statement. He shall remain in that city, okay, city of refuge, until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. So evidently, he had to stay in that city of refuge until something that changed everything happened, and that was that the high priest would die. And then he's free to return home. There's no more threat of penalty against his life. He no longer bears any guilt or punishment for his misdeed. Right? Now, does that sound familiar to you at all? Where a high priest would die and that would absolve somebody of the penalty of their sin. You ever heard a story like that? Another high priest? Maybe one named Jesus? Um, if, you, if you studied the book of Hebrews with us back in last year, then, then sure you've heard that. Uh, Hebrews 7 says, it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. He's talking about Jesus. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He's no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So Jesus, as our high priest, has offered his life up once and for all and removed the threat of punishment for sin from all who belong to Jesus. It's the best of news. That's why we call it the good news, right? Now, finding Jesus in the Old Testament 
is a little tricky. Um, some people find Jesus under every rock. So I'm, I'm researching this passage, and I'll find people that will say things like there are six cities of refuge. Six is the number of man. Jesus became a man. This is a reference to the incarnation of Jesus. I'm not exactly sure. And then, like other people find, every name of every city points you to Jesus. For instance, Shechem is one of the harder ones. It means shoulder. So they say, Jesus bore the sins of man upon his shoulder. This is a reference to Jesus' shoulder. I'm not sure about all that. But when I find a high priest who by his death absolves people of the penalty of their sin... That makes me think about Jesus. I don't know about you. It points me to Jesus. And there's a number of other things about these cities of refuge that I think God is using to help us see, hey, there's a greater refuge in Jesus. Let me, let me show you um, just a couple of those things. First, Jesus is presented as our refuge in that same book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 6, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus is presented as this greater refuge for our souls, right? And I think these cities remind us of him. The cities are a refuge like Jesus because they're accessible to everybody. And it's, um, it's interesting. In these cities, God provides access for all the people, to justice. Uh, look just at a map of where these cities are. So everywhere those arrows are is one of these cities. There's six of them. And you can see that they are distributed pretty much evenly throughout the land. Um, one uh, scholar says that they are all within a day's run of anywhere. You could get to a city from anywhere in the land within a day's run. And you are running because you're running for your life, right? But that's why they're distributed, to, give, to make justice accessible for all the people in this land. But not just geographical accessibility, but also accessibility across racial boundaries. It's, it's real interesting in verse 9. Look at this little phrase. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. So it's not just for the Jews, but it's also for the stranger, for the sojourner among them. Those sojourners were not Jews. They were Gentiles. They were from the nations, quite likely from other races of people. And it's for everyone here. And so, what do we see in Jesus? Uh, famously, words that we sing are part of a song in Revelation. It says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, 
Jesus, for you were slain, and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So they're pointing, as, as these cities of refuge are for anyone in the land of any race, they're pointing to Jesus' work for all tongue and tribe and people and nation. These cities, these cities are like Jesus in that way. And they're, they're also like Jesus in the fact that only these cities are God's provision for this mercy and justice. So if you went to some other city in the land and claimed refuge, if you went to even one of the other 42 cities of the Levites and tried to claim, claim refuge, there was no refuge offered for you there. Just these cities of refuge. And in like fashion, there's an exclusivity to Jesus in that he's the only refuge God has provided for us from our sin. John 14, Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in all these kind of subtle ways, these cities, I think, are pointing us, pointing us towards the greater refuge of Jesus from the penalty of our sins. Now, there are also some pretty significant differences between these cities and the refuge that Jesus offers. And there is just one that I'll highlight for you today, and it, it does not invalidate the correspondence between these cities and Jesus. It simply shows you how much greater Jesus is, the superiority of him as our refuge over these cities. Um, so the cities of refuge were only for what's called a manslayer who accidentally, without intent, took somebody's life. Right. If you were to intentionally take a life, if you committed murder, there was no refuge sufficient for your crime in these cities. Your life would be forfeit for your crime. And the book of Numbers details this out. It says, these cities will be for refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them that anyone who kills any person without intent may flee there. But if he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he's a murderer. The murderer, it says, shall be put to death. Okay. Verse 21, farther down, says, he is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. But mercifully, there is no such limitation on the refuge that Jesus offers us. No matter what our crime, no matter what our sin, the death of the greatest high priest, Jesus, Jesus the Christ, is refuge enough to secure forgiveness for our deepest and darkest thoughts and misdeeds. Okay. Jesus is enough for them all. No exceptions. And that's the kind of language that's used to talk about what Jesus did. Colossians, for instance. Paul writes, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all, all our sins. 
There's a pastor on the West Coast. His name is Doug Goins, and he says this. It's helpful for us. The bottom line for you and me is that unless we have fled by faith to Jesus Christ, we have no salvation. He's the only Savior. And then he asks us some really good, hard questions. Have you fled to him? Have you responded to him as Savior and asked him to forgive your sins? And then he writes about a concern. He says, one of the things that concerns me is the way people settle for hanging around the church. In ancient Israel, it wouldn't have done much good to move up close to the city of refuge and set up camp outside the wall. And just hanging around with God's people now doesn't make you a Christian. Unless you have personally acknowledged your guilt and your fugitive status before God and have run to Jesus for refuge, you're not safe. He says, it's so frightening to me to think of someone hearing this and walking away, in the words of Hebrews, trampling under their feet what God did for them in Jesus Christ. So this morning, is Jesus your only hope of refuge from your sin? Is he your only hope? Or are you thinking that church attendance is going to help? Or maybe if you make a big charitable contribution when the church has a need, that'll help. Maybe because you're beating out the couple sitting next to you, that'll get you in. Um, can you say that your only hope is Jesus? Okay. Not Jesus plus being good enough, Jesus plus going to church enough, but just Jesus. Your only hope is Jesus. Can you say that your full trust is in Jesus? Now, the book of Acts tells us something really significant. There is salvation in no one else apart from Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And we all need a savior. We all need refuge from God's judgment on our sins. The book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament is as plain as can be. It says, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Okay. We all need a refuge. We all need a Savior. And Jesus is that refuge. He is that Savior. Okay. And you can trust him now to be that for you. So let's pray together and talk with God about that very thing. Would you bow with me, please?